Welcome to the World Impact Ministries Sermon of the Week with today's message from our special guest speaker. We were told from the hotel yesterday there was this amazing restaurant called the Machine Shed. I was like, that's not a restaurant. <laughs> but, yeah, but it was awesome. It was awesome. It was kind of like your version of um, Cracker Barrel. Yeah. It was great, though. We always love coming into cities and trying to find the local yokels, you know. So I'm just excited to be here. Um, Ryan and uh, Miguel kind of flew here with me, um, which they do an incredible job. And I just want to thank them. They're amazing. I have this, um, I've had this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful highlight of my life, which I think outside of adopting, I think when I adopted my son 14 years ago, that was the best song I ever wrote. I don't think I'll ever write a song like that, quite like that song. Um, but the, the greatest opportunity the Lord has handed me in the midst of ministry is mentoring and raising up. And, um, I don't think that it's a lost art. I just think that I'm realizing more and more that um, some of us are are few and far between because people think you really have to get a heart to mentor. And the reality of it is, when you watch Jesus mentor those disciples and how he chose them and how he taught them and how it really is the way of Christian walk. It's the way of, of Christianity. And so I remember that that came to me really young when I started singing and I had this gift that I really didn't even know I had. I mean, I just started singing because I was broken. And um, my sister actually took piano lessons um, from my grandmother who had money because we were impoverished growing up. And my grandparents had money and so she paid for piano lessons for her. But my sister was taller and thinner and prettier. And so I was like, I'll be more talented. That's what I can do. So I took piano lessons just to spite my sister and one-upper, never knowing that that would actually be the thing that the Lord would, would come in the midst of while I was home alone at 11 years old, um, running hand and exercises on the piano, and um, he met me. And I didn't talk about it because I didn't know really what was going on. I, I was versed in the Holy Ghost. I mean, my father was a charismaniac that hung on chandeliers in the church and... Um, <laughs> you know, walk naked in the desert, quoting chapters of Isaiah. He was kind of a crazy guy, but he was, he was gone and dead by the time I was nine years old from, from cancer. We were caught up in this movement called the, the name it, claim it, or the faith movement. And he had cancer and believed God was going to heal him. And so he never um, sought out medical attention. And so there's a lot of journeying through religion and through all kinds of things and trying to find that relationship with God was, was key. And and so knowing the power of the Lord and the presence of God, but, but having him meet you when nobody else was around, and you didn't have to explain that to anybody, really was the best learning process for me. So I would just sneak away when I felt really sad or when I didn't know how to deal or process with the loss of my father, and then 10 years later, the loss of my mother, that I just would sing, never knowing that was worship, never knowing that, that I was literally coming into the Holy of Holies and meeting the Lord. So when I started doing it publicly, it was actually a little rough because it was like reading my journal in front of people. I didn't know how to, you know, um, performance and, um, and worship are like oil and water. They kind of don't mix at all. And so you have to learn how to set your performance aside and be, be good at what you do, but never lose sight of the goal. And I remember early on, Um, When I came into the church and started singing, I couldn't find any other women who would encourage me. It was as if when I opened my mouth, they all shut down um, as if as if giving me a compliment would cost them too much. And, and I, I recognized that internally. And I remember being in my late teens and saying, I will never make somebody feel less than in a room. Um, the way I've been made to feel. And so I thought, I'm going to champion people. I want to be somebody that champions people. And I talk a lot about, and and what I'm going to talk to you about today, I mean, I know this is like Mother's Day, so I'm going to talk about some women in the Bible, which will be great. Um, But I I think the message that I have to bring is really, I'm just going to, I'm going to throw out the seed of of just um, the fact that where we are today with Christ doesn't mean we have to be there tomorrow. Like um, worship and relationship with God is a progressive state. So if I'm where I am with Jesus next year, I'm going to be pretty bummed out because he said I could actually have more. Um, You know, he said that his love is so high, so wide, so deep, 
you know, so long. And scripture says that if we were to try to search it out, we'd never find the ends of it. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't search it out because it's, you'd be clueless in trying to find the end. But it does mean, it means if you want more, you can have more and you can have more and you can have more. And I think that the church will finally heal if we get more and more and more and more, not of Pentecost or not of the presence of God or not of signs and wonders, but more of him, because all that other stuff follows when we get more of him and we don't combat and we don't complain and we don't whine about what we don't have because we're full of this relationship with God. And so you know, I've just become one that, that if I've got a problem, if, if the country's in a crisis, I know this guy who knows everything. And I've really come into context where I'm like, I have a king. Like, I serve a God who knows what's going to happen. Like, he knows who's going to be the next president. He knows what chaos that next president's going to bring. You know what I'm saying? He knows all this stuff that we flutter around in chaos. And we, we're watching the world just kind of like cycle down a toilet drain. You know, and I'm and I don't worry anymore because I'm like, look, this is pretty informative. The word is pretty informative. In fact, my son, he's only 14, but he has Bible class. And and he's like, I don't know why you're worried about me wanting to watch a scary movie, because that book is the most brutal book I've ever read. And I'm like, he's kind of right. I mean, he's kind of right. You know, we haven't yet seen what this book talks about. We haven't seen that in our nation. And we don't, we, have, we, we don't see what she's about to experience and the stories that she's about to hear in Turkey from, from those Muslim countries that are, are struggling where women don't have rights and Christian, Christians don't have rights. We have no clue what that's like. We're squabbling over parties here, which is just hilarious to me that, that we haven't yet just, even the church hasn't yet just settled down and said, hey, you know, um, this, this word says that with prayer, all, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. That, that if we just begin to relax and believe that God was for us, not against us, that God's in the battle fighting for us, that we don't really have to worry about that kind of stuff. So I became a big champion of, of people and, and a big champion of musicians and creatives. I have a whole other bent about creativity that, um, that I, I talk on. And t- 11 years ago, I think this will be, next year will be our, our 12th year, I started this school called DIVE. People think I run a scuba diving school, but it's kind of funny. But DIVE is an acronym for Deep Innovative Vertical Expression. And I started this school 11 years ago because the Lord said, go find the creatives because I'm going to create revival with them. And I was like, that's interesting. And when I conversed with the Lord about that, he began to talk to me about what we all do with the lost and the saved that are the same. And I thought, the arts. Like, we all go to the same movies, right? You're in a movie sometimes crowded with unsaved Christians. You go to the theater. You go to concerts. You love secular music like jazz and all those kind of things. That the arts actually can bring us all together. And I thought, wouldn't that just be like God to use the arts to create revival? And so I started just mentoring these young creatives and raising them up and and, um, affirming what was inside of them and not saying that they were silly for what they believed or crazy for their ideas. They're some of the most creative people. These millennials are some of the most creative people. What do they call the next generation? The Z's? Is it the Z's or the X or the Z's? My son's like a Z guy or whatever. And he's more creative than, I mean, the stuff that he does on the computer far outsearches anything that I could ever do. Logic formats, you know, all kinds of loops and tracks and things like that. He's 14, but he breathes God in, in rhythm. And in a different way than I do. And I want to champion that. I don't want to be freaked out because he listens to rap music. Like I've went to the Lord with that. And I'm like, how do you feel about that? And the Lord's like, I actually really love rap. You know what I'm saying? Because anybody can, anybody can, can, um, can twist something. Anybody that, that isn't walking with the Lord can, can twist something that to make it uh, a compromising thing. But the reality of it is who, who owns all of music, who owns all of color, who owns all of rhythm? The Lord does. So these are conversations that I have where I'm like, okay, Lord, how then do I parent this beautiful rhythm in this kid and be for what he's for because you're for him. So I just have become this lover of, of these musicians and these painters and these filmmakers. And 
um, and have run this school that we do uh, three times a year. In fact, in less than two weeks, we leave for Israel. I've decided to take a group of them to Israel to take them back to the land where creation started. And we're going to take this creative journey where they have to reflect upon the creator in their creativity in this place where everything started. So you can pray for us in that. The way to support us in that, if you want, I don't talk about product. I'm like, if you don't like my CD, it's a great coaster. You know, I mean, I, I provide the product back there for people. I'm not one who, but I will sell other people's stuff if I believe in it. And some people might be confused, but when you see dive stuff back there, that just supports our school. Um, we have our, our I'm saying um, in our school that the enemy heard a rumor that I'm going to change the, the world. And so that's why he's been assaulting me ever since. Because I think when we're all born, there's a rumor hell hers, hears about us. And so he launches an attack right from the gate. And so if you are one that's sitting here thinking, man, I've just been, I've been harassed since I was in my teens. I've been harassed ever since I was born with this or that or that. It's really because I believe hell heard a rumor about you. And he's been trying to keep you from the promise that God has for you. So if you believe more in your issue than you do in your promise, maybe it's a day for you to stand and say, wait, 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 wait. Look in the opposite direction of your attack and find your burn. Find the thing that you are gifted with. Not your giftings like what I do, but when I talk about burning, I talk about the thing that's in the center of your being that you leak in the atmosphere when you leave a room. I had to find out that for me, it wasn't that I sang great or that I could write songs. It was that whatever I wanted to do, I wanted courage to be settled in the room. I wanted encouragement to fly on people and to cause people to feel hope. So I hear that a lot in my music. Your music has done this for me. It's done this for me. It's because my burning, the wick that's deep in my spiritual spine is encouragement. So if that is what I burn with, you can bet to believe that discouragement is what I'm constantly attacked with. And so I've had to learn how to turn back and get smarter than the devil and be like, oh, okay, well, I'll fight you with my burn. So it's, it's been a crazy, crazy world, but that's what Dive is. So when you buy the Dive product out there, you're actually supporting our school. And the other thing that I just believe in right now, um, I have him ship these books. This book just came out. I love millennials. And um, my 14-year-old said to me a couple weeks ago, mom, how come when the church talks about millennials, they act like it's a dirty word? And I, as a mom, let me just tell you, if, if the church talks about the Z generation like it's a dirty word, you're going to have a mama bear mad. You know what I'm saying? Because I, I want my son's generation to feel like the generation before it and the generation before that believed in them. And a lot of what we've missed in millennials if we stop believing in what God's called them to. And we've complained more about what they react, how they react than who it is that they really are. And I, I met this kid um, in Dallas when I, I moved there about seven years ago and came on staff of a, of a very large church there um, as an artisan resident. And we would just meet, and he would weep in my office and cry about how he was trampled and not believed in. And he came, comes from a very affluent family, but he couldn't find anybody to believe in him. He was an actor, and he loved fashion, and he was misrepresented his whole life, but he just wanted to seek the Lord. And what he was is a brilliant writer. And so he was able to pen in the last year a book about millennials by a millennial. And so if you struggle with this generation or if you're a millennial and you, you um, have questions or you're a parent of one and you wonder, please um, buy this book. I don't have many copies, but this book is a beautiful book. I don't know if you guys get James Robinson out here on TV, but um, he and Robert Morris have um, decided to kind of go after this book and send this book all over the world because it's a, it's a, um, it's a mouthpiece um, for the church to hear that millennials are, are destined, incredible people. Um, and so get that book if you want that book. Is there a millennial in here that needs? Um, yeah, you can have it. Can you just hand that to her? Um, if you want to look um, in, um, pull up your, your Bibles if you have them or your iPads. I don't know how you guys do it in Wisconsin. <laughs> if you still have Bibles or iPads or whatever. Just, we're going to go to Luke chapter one. Um, this is one of my favorite stories. Sometimes the Lord will get me on a, 
on a kick for a while, and I've been on this kick for a while. I, I, I needed some identification. I think every year I'm like, God, show me more, show me more. <clears throat> and for years and years and years, he gave me the same word over and over and over. And I remember I was back in a green room when this word first came down from this prophetic guy. I, I had done this night of worship, and I was back in this green room, and they had this prophetic teacher that night, and he came up to me and said, I had a word from the Lord for you. And, you know, I'm always, I love words from the Lord, but, you know, you, you, when you're young, you want the word that you want to hear, you know, like, God's got this incredible man for you. He's not a sinner. He's perfect in all his ways. You're going to have this many kids. You know, all those kind of really beautiful prophetic words that you never get sometimes. And so I would always get the word that was like, you're, God's gift to do with music. You're going to take word to, um, songs to the nations. And I would get to the point where I'm like, let me guess, let me guess. I'm gifted in music and God's going to take my... I became almost sarcastic about it. And this guy said, um, the Lord told me that you're John the Baptist. And he, he, you're the voice of the one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. And I was so depressed. I was <laughs> so depressed. And I was like, who wants to be John the Baptist? <laughs> You know, I could think of a million other people in the Bible to be, but John the Baptist is not one of them because I don't know if you guys follow the Enneagram, but I'm a four in the Enneagram, so I'm the only one in this room that has problems. And, and so hearing that I was John the Baptist, I'm like, great, I'm going to be a hippie unaccepted by the church, you know? <laughs> And I'm going to end, with, end my life with my head, come off, head cut off, never, ever getting to do what God's promised me I would see. And so I lived, every time I heard that word, like it was over and over, and I just crushed that word down. And I was like, I know, I know. I'm the voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way of the Lord. I got the crappy job, you know? <laughs> because when you, when you read scripture, you almost feel sorry for the guy because he kind of got the crap job. He kind of got the, the hard job. But... Here's this guy that, you know, when I started really reading his story, I'm like, oh my gosh, like he never deviated ever from his calling until he was imprisoned. And then he asked his disciples to go ask Jesus, the cousin, the one he twirled around in his mother's womb when, 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 when Mary approached with Jesus. And I mean, all of a sudden he like had this question. And so I want to just go back today and speak to, to, to moms and, and encourage you as mothers, yes, because it's today, but really encourage all of us that, that there are elements in our life that we're waiting. Some of us are waiting for things. We're waiting for God to do things. We're wanting to see God do things. And some of us, if we are honest, we don't know how to move until God comes. We don't know how to believe until God does this. And it creates this lostness in us where our belief begins to swirl around and we can't stand firm in anything because we've yet to see God come for us. And so I want you just to come to uh, Luke chapter one with me. And I'm just going to read the beginning. It says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you are, have been taught. So the writer is writing to Theophilus and saying this. What you're about to hear has been actually um, investigated. So what you're about to hear in the story has been verified, and this is the truth of what went down. In the time of King Herod of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. That's pretty impactful, that little thing. Here are these two. They, they both have a lineage of um, royal divinity in them. They are um, very well received. He's a priest in the house. She's in the lineage of the, one of the daughters of Aaron. They are great people. They are people that you can respect. They are people that even uh, the Bible is saying are walking blamelessly before God. So they are upright. They are great stewards. They're in the house of the Lord and they're believers. It doesn't talk about um, any sin that's in their life. It actually uses the word blamelessly blameless in the NIV, that they were blameless before the sight of God. But, oh, yeah, they never got what they felt like God had promised them. 
and now they were really super old. So the likelihood of that ever happening was none. And so it's interesting how scripture sets up a couple and then sets up their, un, their, their disappointment. Because you would not, you know, when I read um, Luke in the first time and the Lord was bringing me this to show me why it is he had been prophesying over me this, I was disturbed because I'm like, whoa, like I've never asked myself the question, can you be blameless and still be horribly disappointed by God? According to scripture, you can. Because as the story evolves, Zechariah is going to have this encounter with this angelic being in a few minutes. And the angelic being doesn't come with one word of bad news. Not one. So Zechariah has a lot that's cast. He's, it's his turn to be um, doing his job. It's a cycle, a rotation that they're on. So it would be like in modern day times, he would have a duty in the house of God. And basically what he's doing, he's bringing the prayers of the people into the altar of incense. And so it's really interesting here because his prayers haven't been answered. But his job and his post is to bring all of the peoples into the Lord. So how can you be blameless and still be disappointed? Well, he didn't run outside the synagogue and curse God and just begin to leave an unbeliever's life. He actually stayed in the house. Even while he was um, full of disappointment that we find out here soon, even while he was churning with unbelief, he still got up and he still came in and he still laid it down and he still did what God had asked him to do, even though his heart was breaking every time he did it. And so he, he's in the, the, this place and an angel of the Lord appeared standing at the right hand of the altar of incense and Zechariah sees him and is gripped with fear, scripture says. And in 13, it says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you were to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never, look, there's not one bad thing here, people. He is never to take wine or fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient of their wisdom to the righteous to make ready a prepared people for the Lord. And Zechariah looks at the angel who's just given him this incredible word and says, how can I be sure of this? Which is the first time that all of a sudden this blameless guy who's got this great lineage all of a sudden now he just chucks up all of his disappointment. I adopted my son. I was in Romania. I was in, we had visited a primitive hospital there um, and we were holding babies in this intensive care unit. And some of these babies had no name cards in their incubator. When I asked the nurse, she said, they're dying, so we don't name them. And so I, I picked up this little six-day-old baby and I sat near the window and I just said, God, give me a name. Give me a name for this baby. And the Lord gave me a name for that baby. And then he said to me, I father the fatherless. It's about time you start mothering the motherless. And I thought that must mean that God was going to give me a husband. I don't know why. Because I don't know why God would ever want me to do something that didn't look like the way I wanted it to look like. And so I'm like, oh my God, he's going to give me a husband. Finally, this man of God's going to come riding from the north and it's going to be this most amazing thing. And the Lord said, well, I'm not waiting for your life to get convenient before you obey. He said, I'm asking you to walk it out. And I said, how am I going to, how am I going to mother, single mother? Well, I'm, do, you, do you realize what I do for you? you know, I was like, do you realize how much I travel for you? I'm like, how do you expect me to? And he said, when did your father die? And I said, well, I was nine. He said, did I do a pretty good job fathering you? And I said, yes, Lord. He said, then I'll father this baby with you. But I've got a warrior that we've got to raise. Are you with me? Do you want to do this? And me stepping into that role of obedience was the scariest thing. But I am telling you, moms, it would have been amazing if Gabriel would have showed up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
And if Gabriel was like, the Lord's asking you to do this, and this is what this kid's name is, he's not going to be smoking crack behind the gymnasium in high school. He's not going to be doing that. He's not going to be doing this. He's, he's going to be full of the Lord, all the stuff. I'd be like, I am in. I am in, God. I am in. I mean, has anybody had an angel visit them while you were pregnant and told you everything about your kid's life? There was no need for Zechariah in this portion of scripture to say anything but, what? What? How, how beautiful is God? Oh my gosh, he's, there was nothing for him. But because he had resident disappointment still in the bottom of his spirit, because he had been through years and years, can you imagine the weeping that he's had to listen to with his wife? In that day and age, what a woman is known for is the child that she bears to carry on the legacy of the family. And she can't do any of this. And now she's just ostracized, probably in her community. She's old and it's over, it's done, and there's nothing left to hope for. And it's sitting in this guy's belly. And an angel shows up. And all of a sudden, it starts to just regurgitate and come up. And it comes out of his throat. And he can't say anything good. So he says the way that his flesh feels. You expect me to believe now you're going to do this? You want me to go back to my wife and be like, hey, I met an angel in the temple. And the angel's like, you're going to get pregnant. Like, I don't know how, honey, that's going to happen. But you're going to get... Think about all of the modern day things we would think about that would have to be somehow in some of the thought process of Zechariah. And, and so I feel for this guy. And I really felt for this guy when the angel's like you need to not speak anymore, and literally cuts him off. And I was like, man, Lord, that was a low blow. That guy's been holding on to that stuff for a long time. And this is what the Holy Spirit said to me. He said, nothing will stop a promise from the Lord, not even the sound of your own voice. And you think how long it was going to take for that baby to get there. That's what, ladies, almost 10 months? And how many times in that 10 months would an old man look at his pregnant old wife and start to question whether or not that was ever going to be possible? How was she ever going to do this? How many times, if that was his response then, how many times would he have said during the pregnancy, said during that process, I just don't, I just don't know God, I just don't. And so what the Lord does is he's like, I don't want you to damage the promise with the sound of your own doubt and unbelief. So I'm going to cut your voice off until you see the promise and until you can declare that the promise is real. And I think that for some of us, you know, our stories are deep. Our wounds are deep. Um, we could probably sit down with each other and, and one person on this side could outdo the other person's pain on that side. I get it. I understand it. I'd be here all day if I told you all of the trials and tribulations that I've had to face, all the things that I wrote in my journal that I'm so certain God said he was going to do, but I have yet to see any of it. But I will tell you this. I have seen more that I've never asked for in my life that has showed me the goodness of God in ways that losing everything else and not seeing everything else, it's okay now because I've seen God do things that I never asked him to do. And yet there are things that the Lord is saying when I try to lay them down because it's too painful to carry them, the Lord says, did I ask you to do it? Well, Lord, it's too painful to carry it, but did I ask you to set it aside? Because if I didn't ask you to set it aside, then wear the burden of it until I bring it. Because the weight of it, at least you feel the weight of it on your back that you know, I still have a promise I'm carrying. I still have a promise I'm carrying. God's still up to something. Do you understand what I'm saying? Instead of allowing our flesh to say, my back is sore, my muscles are tired, I'm done with this, it's over. And then you pull it down. Let me just tell you, if those of you have laid down things that God said never to lay down, and then God asks you to pick them up, it may be harder to pick them up than it was to lay them down. Because sometimes when you, when you lay something down and you walk away from it, you have to go back and retrace your steps and give God back 10 times more things because of the process of how it's done. And so here is this guy who has this thing and has to go home and somehow hand motion to his wife 
with no voice that what's going to happen. Now he walks out and people are like, something might have been there because that guy's, that guy's, something happened to this guy. And he goes home and it says, when his time of service was complete, he returned home and after his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. And I love this. Here's Elizabeth. Elizabeth doesn't, doesn't say she says nothing. But it says when she conceives the baby, here's a woman that at the end of this story, the whole town's at her house. So this is the one time in her life, the one thing that she wants to, to shout from the rooftops. But apparently, according to scripture, her response is different than Zacharias. She pulls herself into the presence of God for five months. And she just sits there. Five is the number for grace. I wonder sometimes if she took five months to just say, I believe, I believe again, I believe again, I believe again. Didn't say anything to anybody else, but kept that baby surrounded in grace and in belief. And, and um, she becomes this prophetic kind of insightful woman because all of a sudden that same angel six months later visits this 14-year-old kid. Now, part of the journey of reading the scripture for me was the fact that I, I realized that my, my wrestle in ministry was that I had wrestled my whole life with the word of being a John the Baptist because I didn't want to be one that prepared the way. And here is the thing in the church. Some of us will carry both callings, but some of us will prepare the way while others of us make the way. And when you're in the music industry and you're on a Christian label, I'm not even going to go down the road to, to uh, secular labels because newsflash, all Christian labels are owned by secular ones. So the business format is the same thing. And so when you're in a record label like I have been all my life, it's, well, promise, promise, promise. Here we're going to do this and we're going to do this and it's going to be like this. And if it doesn't cut it, then they just drop you. Or if it doesn't make it, then you're this. But when you reach a certain age, it's over. You don't get to do it anymore. And if you're a woman and you reach a certain age, it's super over. You don't get to do that anymore. I started worshiping when worship wasn't a commodity. You found a small little section of worship in a bookstore, in a Christian bookstore. I don't even know if you have Christian bookstores here anymore. All of a sudden, worship became popular, and it became kind of like the thing. And now it's like the biggest, hottest selling commodity. It's like all over the place. It's leaked into the, the secular realm. And, you know, you've got artists that are, that are transferring into the secular realm, which I think is amazing. But I w was back in the day when, when we worshiped because God was coming in a room, and there were things happening. And so I love my heritage because I loved watching God fall on people, and I never lost the essence of that. But it would have been great. I mean, I remember that, that you know, I was standing next to one of the biggest songwriters and we were doing a, a conference together and he, he was saying in his precious accent, you know, my wife and I, you know, we just, we took like three months off and we just laid on the beaches of Australia and we just were like, God, where are you? And I was like, oh, why are you laying on the beaches of Australia with all this royalty cash? I'm like in the sewer crying out for God to rend the heavens because I didn't get the royalty checks. I was writing the music, but I was in the day when, when there was no uh, royalty checks. There was no CCLI. We were just writing songs and singing them and watching people get healed. And all of a sudden, my, my, my peers and my, my friends in the music industry that I'm a tour with are like oh, cashing hundreds of thousands of dollars of checks because the worship music is flying up the charts. And I remember I started complaining to the Lord. And the Lord was like, hey, do you want a royalty check or do you want to raise the dead? I was like, can we do both? <laughs> I was honest. But at that point, I was far past the point of saying, oh, I'm just going to go after this now and this be my thing. Because I'd gotten too much of the spirit of God. I'd gotten too much of the thing in my belly. And what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to fight a calling that God was trying to place on me to say, you're the voice of the one in the desert calling, prepare the way of the Lord. You may never be the one getting to do this. But would you go out and find those and raise them up? And it was like, well, nobody else is doing that. I'm going to be alone if I do that. That's right. I was alone in my journey too. Join me. Join me in the call. And so 
I, I watched this, this beautiful transition between the heart of Elizabeth, who's this older woman, and then all of a sudden this 14-year-old girl. And, you know, we know the story that Gabriel comes to her and um, he tells her that she's found favor with God and that she's going to conceive and give birth to a son. And, and he tells her what that boy is going to be called and that he's going to be the most high. And, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. I mean, what a word. And her response is, is kind of the same in, in, in a similar way. She says, how can this be so? But she's not saying, how can this be so? There's resident disappointment in me. She's 14. <laughs> she's 14. She hasn't experienced life. She's only worshiped God. So her response is a pure, be it unto me. How can this be so? I mean, I'm a virgin. I don't know how this can be so, but be it unto me. But it takes two women one that has to be filled of a promise that's been lost long, long ago to actually encourage the other one that gets filled with the new one in this moment. And it's a beautiful dynamic between these two moms, an old new mom and a young new mom. And this new mom makes her journey. It's going to take about 14 days for her if you track it out the way she would have to go to get from where she lived to Elizabeth's house. And Bible says that Elizabeth um, can sense her coming and not just sense her coming, but upon revelation, she knows she's carrying the one that's going to prepare a way. I've got the one that's going to make a way. She's got the one that's going to, I mean, I got the one that's going to prepare a way. She's got the one that's going to make a way. And she steps out into the yard as Mary comes up and she begins to prophesy over Mary. And oh, a part of my heart longs that we become people, not just women, but people that can see the God in other people. And from the minute, just be like, God's on you. Your talent far surpasses mine. You'll be better at this than I will, but I'm going to pray you into that because you deserve that. And at this moment, we see this old passion that's almost dying, carrying something now that within itself, because its mother is willing to worship the Lord, its mother, it's willing to lay down all of the stuff God didn't do and carry in the moment what he did. Understand this. If the Lord in his power, if the Lord in his power would have given them the desires of his heart, which he always planned to do 40 years before that, there would never have been a 14 year old girl ready for the Lord. And so you ask yourself, God, why? God, why? God, why? God, why? And you know, we talk and we preach and you hear in church, well, the timing of God is perfect. The timing of God is perfect. And it's because the timing of God is perfect. Because if God was going to change everything in that moment, these two women began to carry things that would change everything in that moment and then would speak for the ages about how to carry a promise properly. How to carry a promise with dignity. How to carry it so well that it knows it's a promise in incubation. And upon other promise entering into the atmosphere, it begins to turn in the belly of the one who's breeding its promise. And says, I can even feel promise coming from the outside. And I can't wait to speak over that promise. How come we can't be the people of God who do that? I just think the church is going to change if we do. I think it's going to change. And I think it was so provoking for me reading the scripture because I had to sit there and say, oh, I haven't grabbed a hold of this word. I remember sitting down with Carrie Job when God was giving this, me this revelation years ago and we were at a coffee shop in Nashville and I was telling her and crying about this revelation because, you know, the Lord said, hey, sometimes I don't keep... Um, bringing a word and bringing a word and bringing a word and bringing a word because I just love to remind you. He's like, sometimes I have to bring it over and over and over and you create work for me all the time because you simply won't receive it. Think about all the wasted time you've, if you just would have grabbed hold of that word from the beginning and said, I don't know what this means, but I'm taking it in and I'm going to believe it. I wouldn't have ever had to say it to you again because it would have embedded itself in your soul and you would have been walking out the promise a lot sooner. And so I had to ask for forgiveness. I just was like, man, Lord, I'm so sorry. And when you think about that, you know, I remember I looked at Carrie and I was like, I'm, I'm John. You're Jesus. She's like, I get to be Jesus. <laughs> like, unfortunately, yes. 
And then sometimes when we text now, it'll just be, hey, John, hey, Jesus, it's John. Just want you to know I'm praying for you today. I believe in the city that you're in. I believe in the people that you're singing over and I got your back. She'll say, thanks, John. And I think that's the kind of people that we need to be. Women do this really well. You know, and if it's a Mother's Day message, women do this really well. But the beautiful thing I I love about this is Zachariah, who's this beautiful priest, when that baby is born, and they say, why aren't you naming him Zachariah? His name should be Zachariah after his father. And Zachariah has the opening, has has the response that he needed to have when he writes on a piece of paper, his name is John. And his mouth is opened, and he's able to join in on the celebration of the promise. You know... The angel didn't say how that John would die. He didn't say how that he would lose him. But for me, when I look at the, even the death of John the Baptist, and I think here's this guy who never deviates from the plan, and he's, he's literally standing in a cell, and he asks his disciples, go ask him if he's the one. Remember that? Go ask him if he's the one. I mean, never has questioned him ever. Baptizes the guy, watches the Holy Spirit descend like a dove, never questions the cuz. Never, I mean, never questions Jesus. I think it would be a great faith movie if someone really wrote a beautiful script on the relationship with, between John and Jesus that the scripture doesn't really talk about, where they had to have grown up together. They have, uh, if, that, if I were Elizabeth, I would have made sure that those two played when they were kids a lot. So there was a commitment level between those two men. And there was a dynamic between those two men. Jesus knew, no, 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 you're going to have to make a way for me. And you're specifically been promised by God to make a way for me. And so all of a sudden, this make a wayer has been arrested. And that the angel didn't say that. The angel didn't prophesy that to the parents, that he'd be ostracized and that, and that the religious leaders would hate him and that kings would come after him. And, and then all of a sudden, he'd be arrested and he'd be put in prison. And so I think that John probably got a little nervous. I think that John was like, this isn't part of the plan. This isn't part of the deal. I got stuff to do. So ask him if he's the one, because if he's not the one, we got to find the one, like we got to find the one. And so the Bible says that John's disciples come and Jesus is speaking to crowds of thousands and, and uh, they come and they say, John's in prison. And he wants to know if you're the one. And this is what Jesus says. It's a really famous line. It's almost like the dee dee, you know, the bummer line where he says, tell John that the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, the lame are leaping, but tell John, blessed is he who is not offended by me which is basically tell him not be offended by what I don't do when he wants me to do it. Because I think John knew he could bust me out of here. Like he can call down his dad. His dad will come busting into that cell, pop those bars open, and I'll be out of here. Like this is a guy who believes in God, like believed in the power of the Almighty. He knew that Jesus' father was all about anything Jesus said. And it doesn't say that um, John's disciples came back to Jesus. We don't hear that um, conversation. But it says this in the Gospels. It says, while John's disciples were leaving, Jesus turns toward the crowd and he says, what did you go out to see in the wilderness? A reed swaying in the wind. No, I tell you this. And he begins to just talk about his cousin as if he'd hung the moon. And that little phrase, while John's disciples were leaving, would um, tell us that they were still within earshot of Jesus' voice. So my imagination says that they got back to that cell, and I'm sure that John rushed up to the bars and said, did you find him? Did you find him? And they said, yeah, John, we found him. He's preaching in the city, and we asked him if he was the one like you asked us to, and he said... Um, that the blind are seeing and the lame are leaping and the deaf are hearing. And then he said this really interesting thing. He said that um, blessed is the man who's not offended by what he doesn't do. And I don't think he's coming. Like, I don't think he's, I don't, it's not that he doesn't care. I just don't, that didn't sound good. But the craziest thing is when we were leaving, he turned toward that crowd, John, and he just went off about how much he loved you. He went off about how you were in the desert and your voice was the one preparing the way for people. And, and I think that John had his head cut off in a manner where maybe he just said, you can cut off my head. You can cut my speech off. You can do whatever you want. I know what my God thinks about me. 
And I just want to, I want to end that today here because I don't know where you're at. You may be a weary woman who has fought for your house and fought for your husband and fought for your children and fought for all those things. Um, yeah, I, I, Kelsey, both of you guys can come up. I was just going to have Kelsey come up and play and maybe sing over us. Um, but I, I don't know if that's who you are. If you're in a place where you're like, I don't know if the promises of God are ever going to come for me. I don't know if God ever hears me anymore. Maybe you are um, a young woman and you're like, I've been asking God for this and asking God for this and he hasn't come. Maybe it's another disappointment. Maybe you're a guy, a father, a husband in this place where you really, if you were to sit for a while, you would say, yeah, I'm super bummed out by God. I'm super bummed out by what it is he hasn't yet done. I I just want to encourage you today that there is a place in us that can carry disappointment and still be in the house of the Lord, still be in the place of worship. You're still here. You're still sitting in these seats. You still came today because something drew you to come even though there's all of this stuff in your spirit that's saying, I don't know if God's ever going to come through financially. We've been asking for this. I need a job. Like all of these things. I don't know what it is, but I know this. I have seen the goodness of God shelter my little boy and I for 14 years. I have watched him wake me up in the night and say, hey, he's got something on his heart. He needs you to ask him. And I'm like, what? And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I don't want to have the sex talk tomorrow. But I, I, I go and I say, is there anything you have a question that maybe you're swirling around that you're, you want to talk to me about it? He's like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm like, are you sure, buddy? Are you sure? I don't say, are you sure? Because the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night and said, you want a question. I don't say that. I'm like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, I, I actually, I do. My son is full-blooded Zimbabwe. He was born in the States. He's this beautiful black child. And I live in the South and I'm from the West Coast. So imagine the cross that I carry now, defending my baby against something that we will not lay down in this country. And it makes me sick. And my son says, can you tell me what the N-word means? And the thing in me is that my father, his father, knew that was in his spirit, knew that was something in him. Who is this God? that can father better than an absent father, that can mother better than an absent mother. I mean, who is this God who, who I am certain knows everything? And yes, I do threaten justice with that. <laughs> I tell him at 14, the Lord loves me a lot. So he's going to tell me everything you're doing that's not right. <laughs> and I'm telling you, the Lord does. And I'm like, hey, I had a conversation with the Lord and he said, you're doing this. And he's like, I can't believe this. (laughs) But it's a conversation not to say God's striked against you. And this, it's like, oh man, kid, if you only knew how much the Lord loves you, he loves you so much that he, he's got angels guarding every side that you are because he's already seen what you're going to be. And I don't know my way. I cry a lot at night because I'm like, I, how do I find this way? How am I going to teach my son to drive as a black man when I know what he's going to face in a car? I mean, these were not my demographics growing up. We didn't, I didn't struggle with this. We didn't have a grid for racism in the West Coast. I wasn't born with that prejudice in my heart, but I'm living with it in the South and I'm carrying it because it was part of my promise from the Lord to carry it, to carry it as a burden and to, to mother my son through it and to teach my son to stand when, when our society says, nah, all you have to do is fight. All you have to do is fight, fight, fight. No, son, stand. When you do not know what to do and you cannot stand, stand. So I, I, I don't know where you are today. I was just asked Kelsey to maybe sing over us. Pastor's going to come. And I just want to pray for this. If you've struggled with disappointment, and you want to lay it down today in a way perhaps that you haven't been able to lay it down. I just want you to be brave enough to stand. And I want to pray for you. It, you know, I, I see it all over the church 
what I've been seeing more. Yeah, just stand wherever you are. It's, the church is full of us. The church is full of us. Much like the church is full of, 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 of the numbers of, of anxiety-ridden people and depressed people in the church is staggering to me. And how is that possible when we have a God who has the clearest mind It's because the enemy has had a field day telling you that you don't have and that you will never receive what God has already promised. And I just want to pray for us. I'm I'm not a, a, I don't feel like I I have it in me to be this pizzazz kind of person. I'm just going to pray because I believe that we all in this room have a father who loves us enough that sees our need. If you can send an angel to a sad priest in the middle of a temple, because he's got a plan still, then he can, he can meet us here. So Holy Spirit, would you just come? God, would you just come? Would you just come and would you breathe? Breathe over these that have stood and those that couldn't even find the courage yet to stand because their legs are too weak. And, and we're just gonna sit here and we're just gonna tell you, we don't have words for all of this. We don't have words for what we don't, um, what we've seen, but we don't know. It's the struggle of living between the now and the not yet. But we, we are confident of this, even if our flesh says, no, you're not. Let our spirit say today, we are confident of this. You do not leave. You do everything you say you're going to do. And your promises are truthful. Your promises are real. And you prevail in everything. And so I speak life. And I speak victory over the fighting that's occurred over disappointment in this room. And I'm asking that on this day in May, in 2019, you would literally remove from us the edge of disappointment that keeps us in delay that causes us to think that you're not who you say you are. And we surrender to you this morning. And we ask for you to move. And we ask for you to come. And we ask for you to seal over these places a new belief, a new grid for hope. And God, I just even even ask that we would just, um, even if words are few, that we just say, God, we have nothing to say. You know it all. You've heard it all. You've heard the cries. You've heard the pounding. You've heard the weeping. You've heard the constant things that we've asked you for our children who are astray or for our diseases or our marriages or our finances. You've heard it all and our ministries and careers. And God, there's nothing left to say. We just say yes, 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 yes. Yes, God. Yes to your will. Yes to your way. Yes to the fact that you're preparing something in us and you're making something in us and you're doing something in us and we say yes. We say yes, God. For more information about this or other media resources, please visit our website at world-impactministries.com. Thanks for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Our prayer is that you are encouraged and strengthened by this message.